I, I've made a list of things that I want to do in the new year. Um, I want to read more. I've kind of gotten out of the habit of doing that, so I want to read more. I want to pray more, and I want to read my Bible more. It's not that I've stopped doing those things. I just want to do more of it. I want to be surrendered to Christ more. I want to make more time for the things that are important and spend less time doing things that are not so important. Uh, I think that's called priorities, right? Um, I want to love my family more and hopefully spend more time with them. I want to pray more with my wife. And I want to exercise more and get healthier. And, you know, I, I was sitting there and I noticed I can't button my button. <laughs> Next year, we'll, we'll see what, what it's like. Anyway, um, I've, one of the things I've learned, it's your fault. You feed me too well. <laughs> and you guys, because when I came back here, I weighed 185 pounds. And anyway, 20 years and 20 pounds later. Um, one of the things I've learned is that we only keep our New Year's resolution, resolutions if they are real priorities for us. And so what I want us to look at today is not our own personal priorities, but the priorities for our church. Now, I've been praying about this message for, for several weeks and uh, knowing that this week was coming up and what I wanted to preach and what God had laid on my heart. And I'm going to preach about what I believe are the five priorities for our church or, or the five purposes of our church. And if they sound familiar to them, it's because I preached a series on them. Uh, they've been in our bulletin. They've been on, on the web page. They've been on Facebook. Um, but here's the list of our priorities, and then I'm going to break them down. Loving God and worship. Does that sound familiar? Loving people and fellowship. Building one another up in discipleship. Serving one another in ministry and reaching out to the world in mission. Tomorrow when I send out the prayer list, I'm going to give you just a 10-word summary of that. But I thought, you know, I better not do it before the sermon because then you'd say, it's 10 words, we're done, you want to go home. So I want to build it, build it out a little bit more. First, loving God in worship. Open your Bibles to Romans 11. We're going to be in, uh, excuse me, Romans 12. We're going to be in Romans for a little bit, and I'm going to kind of tell you where I'm taking these from. But Romans 12, um, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then kind of go back and look at some verses before that. So I want to keep your Bible open. Romans 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a sanctuary, right, Mike? Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what's the good pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, the language that Paul uses is from the Jewish sacrificial system. You know what a sacrifice is? You take an animal, you slay it, you put it on the, on the altar and offer it to God. Well, Paul is not talking about a, a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. Why? Because of God's mercy, he says. Now, Romans 12 begins with a literary device. That, that, it begins with the word therefore. The word therefore is not just there by happenstance. It means that Paul wants you to go back and look at what's before. So I went back to, to chapter 10, and in chapter 10 he talks about the fact that we are made righteous because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this wonderful promise in verse 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then Paul goes back and, and turns to what breaks his heart, which is Israel's rejection of Christ. 
Paul says, my desire is that all Israel be saved. And then he says, they have a zeal for God, but they've rejected the message of righteousness through faith. And so in chapter 11, he says, I have this hope that some of Israel will be saved. Then skip down to to verse 28 in chapter 11. Regarding the gospel, they, meaning Israel, are enemies of the gospel for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs, since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. Then in verse 30, he begins to speak of God's mercy. And you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience. I like those words, though. You have received mercy. So they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that you may also now receive mercy. Think Paul's trying to say something? For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. There's that word again. In those two chapters, we can kind of summarize in this. God has mercy on all of us, even though we don't deserve it. And that's called grace. Paul doesn't even use the word, but we know that's what it means. Then Paul breaks out in, in, in praise. Look there at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. And then Paul says, because of God's mercy, in verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, we should surrender ourselves totally. For Paul worships more than the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray. Worship is living in a way that's pleasing, that rather than following the influences of the world, we allow God's Word to transform us so that we can know and live out God's perfect will. Now, one definition of worship is loving God back. We love being back by purpose. Now, worship includes prayer and sitting at Jesus' feet, being taught the Word through, through Bible teachers and, and through Bible study, through, through worship. Um, so when we gather together as a church for worship, it's to demonstrate by our words that we have lived out during what we have lived out during the past week and to pledge to do during the next. And when we fail, we repent and we again find mercy. So our first pr- priority for the new year, we love God in worship by offering our lives totally to him in complete surrender, loving God. Yes. Okay, we can do that right now. What's your husband's name? Jason. Okay, Mike, could you step out and pray with her? Would you please?
Jeannie, thank you. No, pro no problem. We've got some folks that will take care of you back there. Uh, number two, loving one another in fellowship. I love this, this passage. Turn it with me to John 13 real quick. John 13, and when you find it, we're going to flip over a couple of verses to uh, chapter 15. John 13, 34. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And then in chapter 15, a few pages over, in verse 12, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Now, there are several things in this passage, but what jumps out to me is Jesus says, love one another as I've loved you. Now, there's a command in there. Uh, it's, it seems like it would be impossible to command love, and, and I could understand it if Jesus would have said, you know, you really ought to love one another. That, that would be a whole lot easier to understand. But Jesus commands us to love. It's an imperative. And the only way that we can love as Jesus loves is if we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to love through us. And how did Christ love us? Well, He loved us totally. He loved us unconditionally. And He loved us eternally. And that's the kind of love we're to have for one another. How did He demonstrate His love for us? He laid His life down for us. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. That's our example. That's how we're to love others, by laying our lives down for our friends, our fellow believers, our, the, the other people in the church. God's Jesus' love for us is our standard on how we're to love others. And we do that in fellowship. Fellowship is more than eating together. We enjoy doing that. I've already talked about my problem. We enjoy eating together. Uh, fellowship is more than just good conversation, and we enjoy doing that too. I loved, uh, not last Sunday night, but the Sunday night before the 18th, after worship, we gathered. We had, had uh, cookies and cake and coffee and hot chocolate, and we sat around and visited and just enjoyed that. But fellowship is more than that. That word fellowship comes from a Greek word that means holding something in common. And what we hold in common as a church is our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him, our faith. And so koinonia means that we share our lives with each other in love. And we don't do that just because we're in the same building. I mean, we have, we're all here together, but that doesn't mean that we necessarily have fellowship right here and right now. Hopefully you're worshiping God. Hopefully you're, you're being edified and built up in the faith. Hopefully uh, you're going to find fellowship with some other believers. But it takes more than just being in close proximity. It means celebrating together what we have in common. We spend time together encouraging one another, building each other up, loving on each other. And that's, that's what fellowship is about. And we grow in love for one another. So our second priority for our church is to love one another in fellowship and loving each other as Christ has loved us. That's, that's that second priority. And because of our love for each other, we build each other up and we serve one another, which is three and four in our list. 
So we'll look at those. Um, number three, building each other up in fellowship. Excuse me. In, in discipleship. Now, all of you are familiar with the passage in Matthew 28. You might want to turn there. Um, Matthew 28, beginning with the, 18th, uh, the 16th verse. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, this command is threefold. It begins with the word go. Now, in the Greek, it's, it's not really a, 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 an imperative verb. It's a participle, going. And what it implies is this, that you are to be intentional as you live. As you're going through life, you're to make disciples. Or the nature of your life is to make disciples. That means you're always willing and able to tell somebody else about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ as you go through life going. And then the, the, the real imperative is make disciples. Help others to become followers of Christ. That's pretty simple. You've heard that preached I don't know how many times, uh, so we'll go on from that. And then he says, teaching them to observe the teachings of Christ, all things that I've commanded you. So uh, what Jesus is saying is our life is to be intentional, going for opportun- looking for opportunities to tell others about Jesus and helping them to grow in Christ. And that's what being a part of a church fellowship is. We, we're part of the church, and we point to Jesus, and we help people to become a part of a church fellowship so that they too can grow and be built up uh, as you've grown in Christ. And you share with others uh, about what Christ can do for you. And how you can grow and how you've sat at the feet of pastors and, and Bible teachers and heard the Word of God and been taught the Word of God accurately. Back in the book of Genesis, the first two sons were Cain and Abel. And remember, Cain killed his brother Abel and, and God knew about it. And he went to Cain and he said, where's your brother? And Cain answered God's question with a question. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. If you look around, you'll see your brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, we are responsible for each other to help to build each other up, to encourage one another, to love one another. And when one of us loses our way, it's our responsibility to go to them and to help them to return to Christ and continue in their walk with Christ. Our third priority is to point people to Jesus and to help them to to grow in Christ. And then number four, serving one another in ministry. I know that in Facebook you can't learn a lot of wisdom, but you can keep up with people. But the other day I came across one, one of my friend's Facebook posts that said 10 brutal truths. And number four said donating money does less than donating your time. That's true. Donating money can be helpful, but what's often needed is your involvement in people's lives. Paul wrote to the church at Galatians, uh, at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, 
For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's worship. But then he added a bonus answer. The second greatest commandment is like the first, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he defined what a neighbor was in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Loving others and serving others and seeking and doing the best for them. In Galatians 5, the verse we read just a few minutes ago, Paul says all that we do for Christ, we do out of love for him and out of our love for one another. Service is not burdensome when it's done in love. How many of you remember the story of Jacob? Jacob's name means uh, surplanter or one that seizes, circumvents, or usurps. Those are all good nouns to describe Jacob. Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright with a bowl of stew. Jacob got the blessing of the firstborn by deceiving his father. His brother was so angry about it, he decided he was going to kill him as soon as their dad was dead. And his mother learned about it, and so she sent Jacob away to find a wife from among her family. So Jacob left before Esau could do anything to to him with the blessing of his father and mother and went to the land of of his mother, uh, excuse me, of his mother's upbringing. And there he, he found a family member, and the first person that he saw was a beautiful woman that he fell in love with. And he found out that it was from his mother's family. And so he made arrangements that he was going to marry this girl with her father Laban. Now Laban said, here's the, the, the bride price. Here's the dowry you have to pay. Work for me seven years, and then you can have her as your bride. Well, he worked the seven years. He said, my time's up. I want my wife. Somehow he was tricked into marrying his wife's sister, who was not at all beautiful and who who he was, was not in love with. Well, he was pretty angry about it when he found out about it. And his father-in-law says, well, you know, our tradition is we don't marry the younger before the older, so just put up with it and, and put up with this week, and then you can have the other if you'll work for her for seven more years. Now, here's what I want to get the point of the illustration. Genesis 29, 20 says, So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Service is not burdensome when it's done in love. When you love people, you'll serve them. I mean, think about your kids when they made all those messes when they were little, intentional or not, and you cleaned them up because you loved them. And you didn't kill them because you loved them, right? Whenever you do anything in the church, if you do it in love, you'll not only be blessed, but you will have served someone. Now, there are a lot of ways we can serve in the church. Uh, We can pray for them. I hope that you're praying for your church staff. I need your prayers. We can serve in the church by being greeters in the parking lot or greeters in the 
the welcome center or greet. One of the greatest needs we have is just having greeters here in the auditorium. Somebody that says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure every person that's in here gets somebody to visit with, gets a smile, gets a handshake, sees if they, they need anything. We need those, those greeters. We need somebody to hand out bulletins. Sometimes they get missed out in the parking lot. Ricky and his crew do a great job out in the parking lot going open the door, saying hi, friendly face, and handing out bulletins, but sometimes they're missed. We need greeters in the in the Welcome Center. We need volunteers in the nursery and children's church and to help out with the youth, uh, going to church camp and helping out in the kitchen or singing on the praise team or not this time of year, but a little bit later, help to mow and to trim and to do the pickup of the limbs and cleaning the youth building, all those kind of things that need to be done. A lot of things that I can't even think of, but they need to be done. And we do that because we all are this church, and we serve each other. So how can we make serving one another a priority in the new year? And then the, the fifth one is having a mission to the world. All we've talked about so far is what we do inside the church. But if all we do is focus on one another, we will die. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. During my seminary days, I got to spend the month of January, my, my last year of seminary, in Israel. And I got to see a lot of things. But one of the things that, that I learned was that all of Israel, and Jordan as well, which is on the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee, all of Israel is affected by the, by the, the Jordan River and uh, all of the, all the Jordan, excuse me, Jordan River, I lost my train of thought. Um, the waters flow out of the mountains and, and down into the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And a lot of people get their food from that. There are fishermen that have been there for years, not just from the time of biblical days, but before that and, and long after it. Um, there are a lot of rivers that flow into not only the Sea of Galilee, but but into the Jordan River below the Sea of Galilee, the Yarmouk, the Dan, the Banias, the Zarka, the Sneer, and the Ilion. And these waters are used for irrigation and for drinking. And it affects all that land. Eventually, the Jordan River flows all the way south into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is so low, far below sea level, that once it gets in there, nothing gets out. It, and so it's dead. Uh, the water is dense. Uh, water uh, ev leaves by excuse me, evaporation, not vibration, evaporation. And all that's left is the sediment and the minerals there, and it's so dense that nothing can live. It's dead. Well, that's a great illustration for the church. A church can have a lot of good things going on. It can have, it can have great worship. It can have, have, have love for, for one another. It can have people building each other up in the faith. They can have service for one another. But if we keep our eyes focused in, we're going to die. Because Christ has given us a ministry, a, a mission to take the gospel to the world. Now, in Revelation chapter 2, the Lord told John to write a letter to the church of Ephesus. Ephesus is known as the church that left its first love. 
as you read back through the book of Acts, you see that Ephesus was a good church. And Paul taught there for a couple of years, and, and the gospel expanded out from Ephesus because the people loved the Lord so much. But somehow, between the time of, of, of Paul being in Ephesus and the time that, that John wrote the book of Revelation, they'd left that love. They'd abandoned their love for the Lord, and so they no longer were reaching out. And the Lord said this, remember from where you've fallen, or remember what it was like when you loved me first, and repent and return to me, or else I will remove your candlestick. We are a good church. We have lots of things going on. We love one another. We enjoy our fellowship time with each other. We're seeing folks come out into the, to join us. We're seeing ministry happen. But unless we're faithful to reach out, we're going to die. Because we need to have our eyes fixed on the Lord and what He wants us to do. And one of the things He's told us is to go into the world and make disciples. And that's a ministry for all of us. And those ought to be our priorities. Loving God in worship. Loving one another in fellowship. Building each other up in discipleship. Serving one another in the church so that we have our needs met by each other. And then a ministry to the world. A mission to the world. How do we do that? How do we reach out? Well, Continue to give to the special emphasis, mission emphases that we have. The, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, the Annie Armstrong Eastern offering, the, the, the Christmas boxes that we gave, the 96 of them this year, um, given for the special offerings we have for camp. We need, we need to pray for the lost, especially those you know. Don't just pray, God reach the lost, but the lost people that you know, people in your family, your neighbors, people you work with. And pray for our missionaries. Pray especially for the missionaries that we feature each week. I would encourage you that, that when we have our missionary moments, to write down that name somewhere in your Bible or write it on your bulletin. And as you pray this week, pray for that family. Continue uh, to give so we can send funds to the cooperative program and, and reach out across the world. Join a pray-and-go team. Now, you say, what's pray-and-go? Well, we go into the neighborhoods, and we pray for the home. We don't knock on doors because people don't like to be disturbed anymore. We're going to go, and we're going to pray for the people. We, people can stop us from knocking. They can't keep us from praying. And we go into neighborhoods, and we pray for each family in each home. Join a pray-and-go team. There are, are several teams, uh, Pastor Mike Esau, Pastor Mike Stidham, Pastor Brad, uh, Audie Bradshaw and David Herman are, and me are the team leaders. Go approach one. If you've not been approached in a while, say, hey, I want to serve on a pray-and-go team. I want to serve on your team. And then you can look in the bulletin. I don't have my bulletin. But you can look on the bulletin and find out whose team is that week and whose team will be the next week. Now, because we were so cold right before Christmas, I thought, well, we're going to have a cold January. So we put it off for a couple of weeks. But we're going to start again in a couple of weeks. Ask to join a pray-and-go team. Look for opportunities to share what Jesus has done in you. I'm not saying that you have to learn a gospel outline. I've learned several of them. 
I mean, I've learned the, the Roman road, which one I use. Uh, there, there are lots of outlines. I'm not saying that you have to do that. What I'm saying is this. Share what Jesus has done in your life. Share how, I, I, I love the testimony uh, of this one, one guy in Scripture. He's, he says, I was lost. See, I was blind, but now I see. I don't know how. But he shared what he experienced. My testimony, I was a fake. I grew up in church, but I didn't know Jesus until I was in my 20s. And he changed my life. And he can change yours. That's, that, you share what he's doing. Look for opportunities to share what Jesus has done in you. Pray for invitation time. Pray that God will speak to people's hearts right here in our congregation and that they will respond to the gospel message. Pray for our church and especially our staff that we keep our eyes on Jesus and the mission that he has for us as we go forward, that we make sure we do those things. We want to love God and worship. We need to make that a priority. Worship is more than the songs we sing, though. Worship is a presentation of our whole life to Christ. Like Mike said in the song Sanctuary, we make ourselves, we are a sanctuary of God and we allow our whole life to be used for His glory. And we love each other in fellowship. We serve, we love each other as Christ loved us, which means we got to surrender to Christ and allow Him to love through us. We serve one another. Uh, we build each other to the point, uh, let me stop and say that again. We build each other up as we point people to Jesus and help them to grow in Christ. We serve each other and we reach out to the world. Those are our priorities. Those are our purposes. We need to go out and do it. We don't want to be like most of us when we make New Year's resolutions. That by the second or the third day, broken all of them. We want to keep these before us. We want to keep striving for them, towards them. So let me ask you, how has God spoken to you this morning? How will you respond to Him? And I would encourage you to say, Lord, what do you want me to do in this new year? Not so you can make a resolution, but so you can listen to the Lord and follow Him and be faithful to Him. Are the decisions that you need to make for the Lord? Is God saying, this is what I need you to do? Do you need to respond to him? And I've been praying that you do as God leads you to do. Do you need to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior? Who will you serve in the new year? As I wrote that, the Lord just gave me this strong impression. You can serve either the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender yourself to him, or you can serve Satan in the world. We have a choice, but you can't straddle the fence.